This is the Wellsprings Word. Hey everybody, it's Walt. Uh, Coming to you from Casper, Wyoming, where it's kind of cold and the wind is blowing hard, but we're rejoicing the Lord's good. We started into our Revelation study in our service yesterday, and that recording is coming up right after this. I just wanted to kind of intro it a little bit to let you know what we're doing. We've started into a book study. We really try to take that one week at a time, so I can't tell you how long it will last. Um, Some book studies around here go a while if we really start digging in deep. But when we're talking about the book of Revelation, I want you to understand from the very beginning that our focus is not simply the prophetic part, which is kind of everybody's main thought all the time, is trying to decipher the future. What was God saying about the future? How can we figure out all the little ins and outs of what the Lord was saying about the future? And that's certainly an element of it. I mean, one of the very first verses, God said, I'm going to show you things which must take place after this. So the Lord is the one that sets it up as prophetic. Its literary style is actually apocalyptic, which is a little bit different, um, leaning more to imagery the way the book of Daniel does, but we'll get into all of that later. One thing, though, that I have noticed is pretty traditionally left out of studies about Revelation is that it's not only prophetic, it is also incredibly practical. And so one of the things that we're going to be doing each week as we explore the topics, as we look at the revelation and what the Holy Spirit was showing the Apostle John and all that was being communicated to the church, we're going to end each week with something very, very practical. Something that you can just grab a hold of, take it into your week, and even if you haven't discerned all the mysteries of the of the end times and the last days, um, you've got something practical that can help you in your walk with God. And so that's what happened this week as well, Uh, was just our introduction week where we were giving some background on the book, its inclusion in the canon of scripture, some of the different opinions about it. We kind of break down what course we're going to take as we study it, but the very last part, the last, say, 15 minutes is intensely practical on how to grow as a disciple, learning to not only read, but then to hear and then to keep what the Holy Spirit has revealed to you. So I trust this will be a blessing to you. Um, We are looking forward to the study. I think it's going to be great. If you live in and around Casper, come and join us. Um, 10.30 on Sunday mornings, we have a good time. And uh, if you're following us online, I hope this is encouraging to you. So here we're going to go to the the teaching time on Revelation. Take a listen. We're going to be in Revelation, getting started in Revelation. Um, we got some stuff to cover today. I will do my very best. Sometimes the introduction to book studies are a little dry, but I'll do my best to keep it interesting for you, and we'll move along just as quick as we can. Um, I'm probably going to give you a lot. Um, so it'll be a lot of information. Hang on to all you can. Do what the Scripture says. Hold fast what's good, and, and we'll be in good shape. Revelations chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants, things which must shortly take place, and he sent and signified it by his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God, 
and to the testimony of Jesus Christ to all things that he saw. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it, for the time is near. Can you say amen? Father, bless our time in your word. God, this is the book that everyone's afraid of. So we are charging in. We ask you to lead us into all truth and be our good, good father as you do it because you always do that. You are faithful and awesome. So I pray that every person here, no matter what they're facing, no matter what their challenges are, they leave with something that you deposit in their spirit that makes them strong. In Jesus' name, amen. So the revelation of Jesus Christ, the spooky book that nobody likes to talk about. Um, 2 Timothy 3.16, some of you are familiar with this, um, says all scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God and the women of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. So this idea that all the scripture, God breathed it, that's what it means by the inspiration of God. In other words, God is the author, men were holding the pen. Does that make sense? Men were recording what God was giving them. And the end result of that is the scriptures that we have. And the list that Paul gives us there of the prophet to us is huge, right? That we might be thoroughly equipped for every good work. That it's, it's profitable for us. Everybody say the word prophet. As, as Westerners, we should be able to grab a hold of that. We love the idea of prophet. Well, what the, what the apostle is saying is the scripture is always to your prophet. Everybody say the word prophet. You've got to understand that. Some people say, well, I don't like reading the Bible. I don't get very much. And that's fine. And that's why your spiritual bank account is empty. If you want to profit in your spirit, it comes from God's word. Now, whether you're a scholar and you understand everything or you're a newbie and you barely understand anything, it doesn't matter because God's spirit is in his word. And so if you are deep, God can help you go deep. But even if you are just starting out, man, don't be intimidated. Open to the gospel of Mark and start reading and you will find the Holy Spirit will find you something that he can feed you with and it will be for your profit. Now, the book of Revelation has had a whole interesting story because John records, and we'll get to it as we keep going, but John records that he was in jail, basically, and John was in jail for being the Christian who wouldn't die. How many would like to have that as your business? He just wouldn't die. They had done everything to John, and he would not die. The guy had been boiled in oil the guy had been beaten with sticks. They had stoned him. They had tried to starve him out. They, John, I mean, bless his heart. He's the oldest living apostle, and he just wouldn't die. So they're finally like, whatever, put him in a cave then and just shut him up. Like, he won't die, but just stick him in a cave, and then at least he can't bother anybody. And then the Bible says... John was like, cool, in a cave, I can spend time with Jesus. And so he says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. And the Holy Spirit came and God gives him this, the book that we call Revelation. 
And so, and then when it got out, right, I mean, the, the idea that they locked him up to shut him up and then God gave him this is just funny to me, right? Like just historically, I find that amusing. You would have done better probably just to leave the guy alone. But he gets this and it has just always been embraced. No, it is an incredibly divisive book. Some of you will be triggered by this, but I thought this was funny. One modern guy said that the book of Revelation is the Donald Trump of New Testament books in that it is confusing, hard to follow, often alarming, and you either hate it or love it. And I thought, yeah, pretty much. Historically, the church has really been divided on what to do with it. There are actually leaders of major denominations that wish it wasn't in your Bible, that are upset about the fact that it's even in the canon of the Scripture because they use that all-important dividing line, I don't like it. Well, okay, I I don't think God asked you. Um, Let's just talk for a minute, all right? Let me just give you some facts. Some of you like history. So the earliest reference to it is A.D. 150. It was already being circulated. It was written around 90 A.D. And they used to just call it the Apocalypse of John, right? They knew it was frightening. They knew it was scary. And they knew John wrote it. But the fact that they called it the Apocalypse of John is really interesting because um, the Council of Carthage, if you've never heard of it, was in 397 A.D. And it was the Council of Carthage that established what your Bible is. They established the canon of Scripture. Now, the reason that matters to you and I in this modern day is because now we have all these internet commandos that live in their parents' basements running around online trying to tell us that we shouldn't trust the Bible when they know nothing but that they live in their mom's basement, right? The Council of Carthage, I'm going to tell you something plain, and this is going to sound like an old guy being grumpy, but I don't care. Um... If you hear somebody tell you that you can't trust your Bible and they can't explain to you the Council of Carthage, you should say, bless your heart, and then just leave, okay? Because the Council of Carthage was serious and it was cool and it was God. And what they sat down and decided, look, people are writing books, people are writing letters, people are claiming to be apostles, people are claiming that they heard from God, we need to get a handle on this or the people are gonna be led astray. And so they had a whole battery of tests that they applied to every single book that was in their possession at that time. And the main two were, did an apostle write it? An eyewitness of Jesus. Did an eyewitness of Christ write it? Or at least did an apostle of Christ who was an eyewitness of Jesus attest to the authorship of it? And that's how far down they reduced it by 397 A.D., If you didn't walk with Jesus, we don't want to hear from you. I like that. I got no issue with that. Now, if you go on the History Channel website now, you can find out about all kind of extra books, right? What about the Gospel of Judas? Why would I listen to the guy who betrayed Christ? See, I got no problem with them leaving out his Gospel. A, because they can't prove he wrote it, And B, he's the dude that blew it. Right? That's like like asking the Enron guy to run the electric grid. 
Like, no, I don't care what Judas said. He blew it, right? You'll find all of these young deconstructionists online. You're being lied to. You don't have the whole truth, yet they can't explain four scriptures at gunpoint. Do yourself a favor and ignore them because they're just noise in the background. If you want to think about it, it's the same spirit that was in the garden when the devil said, did God really say that? Or is he keeping something from you? And that's the spirit of the whole thing. You're missing out. You're missing out if you just have a plain old ordinary Bible. You're missing out. I'd like to know what I'm missing out on. Besides my shame, my guilt, my death, my sin, This paints a road to me to find grace, mercy that's new every morning, a God that loves me in spite of myself, a God who picks me up every time I fall down, a God who always believes I can make it because I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. If this is the broken version, I'm okay. I'm not missing anything and neither are you. So go ahead and learn this Bible. And don't be distracted by the noise because they're all just rebels looking for a reason why they don't need to listen to Jesus. Can you say amen? So the council of Carthage, they looked at this and they said, this is really simple. John wrote it. That's why they called it the apocalypse of John. We don't totally understand it, but we trust John. Who was John? John was the disciple that was closer to Jesus than any other one. It is not an accident that young John, who was always sitting right beside Jesus and listening to every word that came out of his mouth, that's the testimony of the other apostles about him. John was always right there listening to every word. It's no accident that he got the final word. He's the one that's always listening. And so Jesus came and brought this to him, and the early church was smart enough to say, yes, this needs to be in the Bible. I'm personally glad. Early church leader Jerome said, the apocalypse of John has many secrets. It is beyond all praise, for multiple meanings lie hidden in every single word. It's fun. It's a fun book to read. As we take off into it, don't be afraid. Don't be nervous. Don't be upset. The fact is, you would do better to read the book of Revelation, ignore the parts that you don't understand, and grab a hold of the pieces that you do understand, and when you get to the end, you will be blessed. And if you go back and start again, you understand a little more, and start again, and you'll understand a little more, you don't need to be afraid of it. It's not written above your head. It was written to the church. And all it takes is a little bit of discipline to unpack it. How are you doing so far? How many have heard of Martin Luther? Well, so Luther, he didn't like it at all. Luther hated Revelation. (laughs) He's so funny. He wrote in the preface to his Revelation of St. John, this is a quote, my spirit cannot accommodate itself to this book. Now listen to this. This is crazy. For me, this is reason not to think highly of it. So... So just because you don't like it, that's reason enough to not think, oh, I'm sorry, it's only John. You're right, Martin. You're awesome. And it was only John who wrote it. I just find that amazing. But then he made this statement. Christ is neither taught nor known in it. 
Well, that's ridiculous. I don't know which version he read. But the whole thing is about Jesus, right? Well, pastor, why are you bringing that up? Because depending on your denominational background, it's very possible that you've never heard anything about it. Okay? There are whole large portions of the body of Christ that just tiptoe around the fact that it's even there. Let's just not talk about it. It'll go away. No, it's not going anywhere because God gave it to us on purpose. So that diversity of opinion is out in the body of Christ, just so you know. It is the original biblical version of taste great, less filling. Some, some of you watch enough to know what I'm talking about. Some of you are trying to be churchy right now. I'm like, what? I don't know anything about those alcoholic substances. I know, but it was on the Super Bowl commercial. Okay, this is the original Ford versus Chevy. How many Ford people? How many Chevy people? How many don't give two cents? Right? See, there you go. So, so it's the original debate. You've got whole portions of the body of Christ that love the book of Revelation. They preach from it all the time, and they get excited about it. And you've got whole other portions of the American church that really try to almost pretend like it's not there. Um, I, I found a couple of these old quotes were pretty funny. One guy said that, <laughs> that Revelations is the key to everything. He's a, he, he likes it. He's a fan, right? Revelation is the key to everything. How many have ever heard of George Bernard Shaw? Anybody? He had a slightly different take. He said of Revelation, it is a curious record of the visions of a drug addict, which is absurdly admitted to the canon. So this is how far the opinions are, right? Honestly, like today, right now, you could go across America and be like, what do you think of the book of Revelation? If people were honest, half the pastors would be like, I hate it. And another half would go, eh. And three or four would go, it's the key to everything. Right? I'm just going to tell you that I stay right in the middle. It's in the Bible. All the scriptures given by the inspiration of God and is profitable. Everybody say profit. So what do we know now that maybe Luther didn't? A few things. First of all, modern print and commentary and computers especially have enabled us to cross-reference things on a level that Martin Luther had no way to even unpack. And when you start using these modern tools, what you find out is there's absolute continuity of thought from Genesis through Daniel, Ezekiel, Isaiah. There's nothing going on in Revelation that wasn't already being woven into the tapestry of the narrative all along the trail. And so by the time you get to where we sit today, we don't have to have any question about it. It's really clear. The Holy Spirit gave this to the church at an opportune moment because we needed it. And now it's in your Bible, and we're going to try to understand it. Are you doing okay so far? So I'm going to tell you the four little main things we're going to use as our keys to unlocking it, and then I'm going to be finished and let you go have lunch or whatever. Um, key number one, everybody say my favorite word with me, context. The main thing we're going to focus on is that you've got to always look at the Scripture in context. Everybody say context. Jesus said this to John 2,000 years ago. Everybody say context. I'm amazed by the people who criticize Bible writers and won't use any context, right? These people had never seen a telephone. They had never seen electricity. They had no idea about cars or anything else. And so when they look at a vision and they go, uh, I don't know, it looked like a big pyramid covered with diamonds and there was doors in it and a big dude sat on top. 
And modern people are like, see, that means nothing. It does if you take five minutes and get back to the guy's context, right? This is the ancient Roman world. It was not spoken to us in 2023. So their imagery and their pictures and their visions are based on what they knew at the time. And if you think about it, the entire world is now different than what John was dealing with when Jesus spoke this to him. If you had told anybody then the Roman Empire was going to end, they would have looked at you like you were crazy because they were sure it was going to be that way for the rest of history, right? So a vision that Daniel gets about the Roman Empire crumbling, falling apart, and turning into divided kingdoms and everything else, that means almost nothing to us now because we look back on it. It was revolutionary thought then. Because as those massive kingdoms, the Persians, the Babylonians, when they would conquer, everyone would give up and go, I guess that's just going to be how it is till it's over. God was the only one sitting outside of history and going, no, great leaders rise, great leaders fall, another great leader will rise, another one will fall, and all the while I'll be God. So we have to keep context in mind. It would be like, have you ever found something old that was yours? And you look back at it and you go, Wow, I've changed, you know. In this old cabinet that we have, we found all the letters that I wrote Carrie when I was on deployment in the Navy in the 90s. I was a romantic. Oh, my gosh. 20 years of cynicism later, I was rolling my eyes at myself. Reading my own letters and going like, oh, this guy, wow. Time matters, man. As time passes, it matters. So we will be, as we go, plugging in some historical context. The second key is we're going to be looking at the fact that there's one author. Everybody say one author. The Bible is 66 individual books, but all scripture was given by the inspiration of God. God is the author. So it doesn't stand alone. You wouldn't take any other novel, tear out the last chapter, and hand it to somebody. That's not how you read anything. And so Revelation's not supposed to even stand alone. It is the final book in the whole of the Bible. This story starts in Genesis and goes all the way through. And the only way to really understand it is to make sure you remember it's the same God who's been talking the whole entire time. And so we're going to make sure that we keep that in focus, that it's a part of a greater narrative. The third key of our understanding this book is going to be the book of Genesis. Everybody say Genesis. Now, I know that you're thinking, well, why would the book of Genesis be the key to understanding the book of Revelation? Well, it's really all found. I, think, I don't think I gave you this, Lisa, but can you in the computer find Isaiah chapter 46, 9 and 10? And while you look at that, This goes back to key number two. God's the author, right? He's the one that's been talking ever since he sat down with Moses and said, okay, write this down. In the beginning, I created everything. 46, 9 and 10. And my apologies, I usually am more thorough about making sure she has all the scriptures ready. But I want you to see this because it's why we're going to be using some stuff from the book of Genesis. Do we have it? Wins the race every time. Isaiah 46, verse 9. Until then, we'll hum. Amazing 
There it is. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there's none like me. And look what he says about himself in verse 10. Declaring what? The end from where? The beginning. And from the ancient times, things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. So leave that up for a minute, Lisa. It's interesting because the word there for beginning is the same Hebrew word, brashit. It's the same word that they translate Genesis. Okay? So God is saying, look, I've been saying the same thing since the beginning. And because I hold the whole history in my hand, I can tell you the end from the beginning. You and I walk through the world waiting to see what happens. God is standing over here knowing what happens. I don't want to detour and preach and go southern on you for a minute, but that knowledge should make you smile because God is not trapped in time. He created time, right? He's outside of time. Have you, <laughs> have you ever wondered why the Holy Spirit in your deepest, darkest moment, you'll feel the Holy Spirit reassure you that it's going to be okay, right? When you and I reassure each other, we don't actually know. We're humans, so if Stan is upset about things on the ranch and I go, Stan, I think it's going to be okay, that and five bucks will get him coffee at Starbucks because I am as limited in my perspective as he is. We're just both humans living day to day. But if the Holy Spirit moves and God goes, it's going to be okay, the reason I can count on that is he's already standing in tomorrow watching it be fixed. Right? He's outside of time. He's not trapped in it. So he says, look, I've been telling you the end from the beginning. I'll give you an example because some of you are still looking at me like I'm speaking Chinese. Genesis chapter 3, God said, I will put enmity between you and the serpent and he will bruise his heel, but your son will crush his head. Why? Because God is already standing at the cross watching Jesus die and the power of his blood destroying the authority of the enemy. God is already there watching it, which is why he can declare it in the beginning because he sees it all. So when the Lord says in Genesis, I'm going to do this, what did he say? My counsel will stand. All of hell can line up and try to stop God from bringing about his history. Nobody can stop him because he's God. The reason I felt like singing that song this morning was because as we talk about this, you will see over and over that our God is an awesome God. And he reigns in heaven above, full of wisdom and power and love. And the only thing you got to know to make it to the end is that our God is an awesome God. Now, we face a culture that wants to make him irrelevant, but they are, in fact, the ones irrelevant. God said, my counsel will stand, and I will do all my pleasure. What's happening on the earth is up to him. We want it to be up to us. There's this other scripture we won't turn to that says God looks from heaven and laughs. The fourth key is going to be the book of Daniel. Everybody say Daniel. The book of Daniel is central to everything going on in the book of Revelation because Revelation is the completion 
of prophetic vision that God released to Daniel early on. And again, this is all going back to end from the beginning, which is all going back to one author, which is all going back to context, who's talking. So if you read Revelation and you think, well, John is delirious in a cave and he's talking, yes, you'll miss it all. But if you can recognize that Jesus looked down from heaven and said, there's my faithful servant still worshiping me, his body broken, but his spirit intact. So I'm going to show him how it ends. And he brings us this wonderful book that's a gift for us to understand. You doing okay? So that's how we're going to break it down. We're going to go back and read this in just a second, and then I'm going to wrap up. So I want to make sure that I clarify right here at the beginning. So our plan, we're going to use the scripture to understand the scripture, recognizing it was one author all the way through. So when we're trying to figure out what a stream of living water means, we're going to go to other scriptures about living water, and we're going to let the scripture break down the scripture for us so that we stay in the truth, okay? That's what we're going to do. We might use some supporting commentaries here and there, but they're only going to be the ones that use the scripture to interpret the scripture. I am going to boldly tell you from the beginning, and for some of you this will be disappointing news, So let me drink first. We won't be spending our time on theories flowing out of modern churches where people divorced from the scripture are just saying stuff. I had a vision. God told me that this is what it all really meant. Yeah, except for everything in your vision is not in the Bible, so wrong. We're not going to be doing that. So as we go through this, if your favorite heretical teacher on YouTube said something remarkably profoundly dumb, please don't email it to me. Because I don't care. I'm going to be using the Bible to stay in the Bible so that when we're done, we all are still standing in the scripture. There's all kinds of crazy stuff going on all around us but we're going to use a little theological discipline. And the fact that the guy fell out of the limo and hit his head, but instead of having nothing, he had a vision of greatness, and now it's a doctrine that he's built his church upon, I can't do anything about the fact that 3,000 knuckleheads are following him in California or whatever's going on. I'm only responsible for us. And Jesus said, on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So we will be staying in the Bible. Amen? So let's go back and let's do that and wrap this up. Revelation 1, 1 through 3. Having established all of that as my introduction, let me show you how we're going to do this from here on out, and then you can decide next week if the church is really empty. I'll know, like, I guess they hated that idea. Verse 1, let's unpack it a little bit. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants, things which must shortly take place, And he sent and signified it by his angel to his servant John. So I want you to notice a couple of things. All scripture given by the inspiration of God and the very beginning is for us to understand God gave this to us. When you look in it, you are looking at something God gave us. Everybody just say God gave it to us. If every good and perfect thing comes down from above, right, according to the book of James, then whether you totally understand it or not, 
The way to do it is to trust his heart in giving it. God doesn't give junk. God doesn't give bad stuff. He gives us good stuff. And so the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants. But I want you to notice next that little word there, things which must shortly take place. Everybody say the word things. Things are concrete, right? In other words, these are actual events. They are taught maybe in vision and apocalyptic imagery, but it's not just spurious. It's not just imaginations. All of these visions are pointing to things. Everybody say things. So when you read through it, even if you read something kind of crazy sounding and you go like, whoa, what does that junk mean? The first thing you should do is, Father, that's pointing to a thing, a real thing. Now, you taught it to us in a vision for a purpose that's in your own heart. So help me understand it because it's a real thing. Everybody say things. This matters more than you know because the secular humanists are trying to tell us that all of history is just unraveling with what we do with it. And this is a declaration that the God of heaven who made it all is saying, no, 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 I'm going to do this, and then I'm going to do this, and then I'm going to do this. And then I'm going to do this. Why are you going to do that, God? Because I want to and I'm in charge and I can't be voted out. So this is what I'm going to do. And I will make my counsel stand. Well, Lord, some of them don't like it. I know. And this is what I'm going to (laughs) do. And my counsel will stand. And so we see this laid out that these are specific things, right? Now, as we keep going, let's go on down, verse 2. He says there that John bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ to all the things that he saw. So everybody just say the word witness. This is huge as you read this because most of the time John doesn't even explain it himself because it was not his task to explain it. It was his task to share it. He's a witness. How mu- what other people in the world have been called witnesses? Not a trick question. All of you, me and us, what did Jesus say we were going to be? Witnesses. Well, I don't say anything because I can't explain it all. That's not what a witness is. God didn't say go be a theologian. He said be a witness. What does a witness do? Says what we saw. That's how simple witnessing is. Jesus changed my life. Well, what about what happened with Noah? I don't know. I wasn't there. But Jesus changed my life. Well, I'm not sure about that whole thing with Ezekiel. Yeah, I never met him. Jesus changed my life. A man with an experience is never at the mercy of a man with an argument. You debate with me all you want, and I know what Jesus has done in my life. That is what it is to be a witness. And the funny thing about being a witness is nobody can even argue that with you because it's your story. Well, I don't think he did it. I don't care. I didn't ask. You weren't there. I know what he did in me. I believe from what I read in the Bible, he would do it for you. But that's up to you. I can't make you do anything. I'm just a witness. That concept is key. Because as you read the narrative of Revelation, that's what you see John doing a lot. This is what I saw. 
And we know he didn't understand it all because when there are occasions that there's an angel standing around, John tells on himself that he would go up to these angels and go, hey, what does that mean? And sometimes they explain it, and we're going to get to some of those times. It's really cool. And other times they just go, just listen. Don't you love that? Like how you do your kids. I don't have time for 47 questions right now. Just don't put your hand on the oven. Just listen. If you read the whole thing in one sitting, you will get a kick out of it. And I would encourage you as we begin this study, don't be afraid of it. It takes about 30 minutes to read Revelation from beginning to end. Just sit down in a chair and read it from beginning to end. And it helps you capture the narrative of a man on a tour with God showing him stuff that he doesn't totally understand, but knowing that what he's called to do to be faithful to write it down so the church can have it. And so he just is on this tour with Jesus. Wow! And about the time he gets that one worked out, whoa! And about the time he gets that sort of, hey, what does that mean? Just write it down. Cool. And he writes it down, and then, whew, that's going to be, whoa! And the whole thing (laughs) is just him recording what he saw. The reason why people argue about it is because so much of it he didn't explain. But it wasn't his task to explain it. He was just bearing witness to it. Are you doing all right? Now, I want you to see this last piece is huge. Verse 3. And I'm going to end on time, and you all just don't even think I can do it. So look at this. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it, for the time is near. Notice the word reads. Notice the word hear. And notice the word keep. Because what was just laid out for you in one verse is how to be a good disciple, how to grow and be excited in Jesus, or how to be bored when you go to church. In one verse, you go, well, then I need to know what it says because I'm bored. Okay. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear. And keep. Blessed are those who read and hear and keep. Say it with me. Those who read and hear and keep. If you are bored in your Christian life, you are probably not reading, or if you are reading, you're not hearing. If you want this to work for you, you need to read. Cool. Step one, you need to hear what God is saying through what you read. And once you get a piece of it, you've got to keep it, okay? You've got to read, you've got to hear, and you've got to keep. Now, there's, uh, it's, you're probably not even supposed to, in this modern age where everybody's so easily offended, you're probably not even supposed to bring up this movie. But there was a great movie a few years back called White Men Can't Jump. Now, um, I'm just going to get this out of the way. I'm white. If that's a problem for anybody that I'm pointing out that I'm white, like, just love me. I'm a dude. I actually know that. If that's a problem for anybody, I apologize. It was just called White Men Can't Jump because if you ever watch Larry Bird play basketball, white men can't jump. Just facts. You're already nervous, and that is hilarious to me that that's how far we've gone. In the movie, there was a black man, and he knew he was black. 
Wesley Snipes. And they had an argument, the white dude and the black dude, about Jimi Hendrix. Now, how many of you have ever heard Jimi Hendrix's music? Their argument was, are you hearing Jimi or are you listening to it? It's a great scene. Look it up if you need a good laugh. They're driving in the car, and the white dude is... And the black dude goes, man, you're not hearing it. And the white dude goes, uh, what are you talking about? I'm listening to it right now. Yeah, you're listening to it, but you don't hear it. That's stupid. I'm listening to it right now. Yeah, I know you're listening to it because it's in the radio, but you don't hear it. And they start having this whole argument. It's great. About the difference between listening and hearing. And it feels subjective and they're arguing back and forth. And all the while, the girlfriend's in the backseat. So she's just like, would you two shut up? And they're just back and forth. Yeah, I know you're listening to it, but you don't hear it. There's something there, brothers and sisters. I've been doing this preaching thing for a long time. And I can tell you, by virtue of you sitting in this room, you are listening to me. But that doesn't mean you're hearing me. And sometimes preachers just want to get louder. You know, I'll make you hear me. No. I, ain't, I don't have energy for that crap anymore. So if you're going to hear me, you need to just go ahead and open up your heart and hear me. Because there's too much stuff we listen to that we don't hear. And so John is making it clear, you don't get to be liturgical. There's not some blessing in just mindlessly reading the words. No, no, no. You've got to read it and you've got to hear it. What was God saying? He said this on purpose. What was he saying? Everybody say, hear it. This is how you got to study your Bible. This is why I tell new people all the time, I would rather you read one verse a day and hear it than read a whole chapter and get nothing and just say you read it. No, it's one thing to read it. That's how it starts. There's no great hope in a baptism of scriptural ignorance. I got saved once. I put my Bible underneath my bed nine years ago. I'm just trusting the Holy Spirit. Well, I don't have to worry about you doing much for Christ then because the truth is all in the book. But you can't just read it like you read a recipe. you got to hear it. So why do we have teaching? Why do we? Well, so that you have a job. No, so that we can go from reading to hearing. That's why teaching is a gift in the body of Christ, so that you don't just have information go by, but you grab it. You can hear it. What was God saying, and who was he saying it to, and what does that mean for me? Reading, hearing, and then, uh uh-oh, keeping. The word is important because the Greek word that they translated keep in the English version means to guard against theft. Now, How many remember that cool parable Jesus did about the sower? And he said, you sow the seed out on the ground. And he said, that is that landed on the hard soil. The enemy came and took it, right? John is reiterating that that spirit is in this world. The spirit of the enemy will always come to take what God tried to give you. The entire dynamic of your spiritual life is just laid out in one verse. You came to church today and you've been sitting here hearing things, hopefully. You're here while we read it. Hopefully as we preach and the Holy Spirit penetrates, you hear something. Maybe not all of it, but you hear the part that's for you. 
That's awesome. That's great. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So you got a cool little nugget. God loves me. God believes in me. Whatever you got out of the whole service, whether it came from the worship or whether it came from the teaching or the testimony or anything else, a conversation when you were greeting people, whatever your nugget is, you have it. I'm going to tell you right now, the bigger battle is to keep it. Because when you leave this place, the spirit of the enemy will do everything possible to rip that back out of your hands so that by tomorrow you had no benefit from being here today. That is the entire fight that the devil has with you, is to steal from you what Jesus hands you. It would literally be no different than if Christ walked up to Van and hands him something great and then some little pickpocket immediately grabs a hold of it and tries to wrestle it out of his hands before he can get it home, before it can profit him. We read, we hear, but if you want to grow, you better figure out how to keep what God gives you. I don't care if what you got today came from my preaching or not. Maybe you got what you got from one of the songs. Maybe you got, and we've had people come and tell all kind of different things. I've had the Holy Spirit lead me to do songs that I don't even like. And have somebody walk up to me after church and be like, oh my gosh. That song, that one line in that song, God said something too good, then it was worth doing. That's all we got to do. But here's the deal. Whatever you get, you got to learn how to keep. Because there is an enemy waiting at your car to steal what God tried to give you in church today. So right at the beginning of the book of Revelation, we already have awesome stuff. God gives us good things so that we can know what's about to happen, but you better learn how to get it, hear it, and then keep it or it will be of no benefit to you at all. Your life was once changed by a sermon that you heard. You know what's more tragic is all the sermons we can't remember where God was trying. I have no doubt that I'm gonna get to heaven and find out, well, you know that thing you struggled over? I sent you this and this and this, and you couldn't figure out how to hear it, and even the day that you heard it, you let somebody steal it. So you didn't have to do all of that. You did all that because you didn't figure out how to keep it. There's a scripture in Proverbs that says, guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it flows the issues of life. So right now, I can't control if you ever come to church here again. Tomorrow's another day. But I want to encourage you right now in this moment, anything good God gave you out of being here today, keep it. Don't let the adversary steal it away from you. I don't care if you have to write it on the inside of your windshield with a Sharpie and look around it for the rest of your days because you can't wash it off the window. But keep it. Write it down. You remember when people wrote in their Bibles? And you'd find an old saint that had notes written in every margin of their Bible. And they were the ones who were not falling apart because they had figured out a way to keep what God gave them. 
In our modern age of being full of ADD and just flitting from one thing to another, the most anointed people in the world can bring teaching, and it means nothing if you can't figure out how to keep it. So read this week, hear, and anything God gives you, keep it. And you and him will be walking together, and your relationship will be with him and not with a church, not with a pastor, You're not gonna make it because you know me. You're gonna make it if you're tight with him. I'm gonna always point. I'm trying to stay tight with Jesus, so that's why I can say, well, come on, let's go do this together. But you won't get to heaven because you know me. No, you're gonna have to have a walk with him. And at every step of the way, God's gonna be trying to give you good things and the spirit of the enemy is gonna be trying to take them away. And the quicker you figure that out and figure out how to hang on to what God gave you, the quicker you will go from strength to strength to strength, level to level, and you'll be a disciple walking with Jesus. How you doing? Thanks again for stopping by. If you'd like any more info about us, feel free to swing by wellsprings.church. Have a blessed day.